Coming up next on The Breadwinning Mums. You are enough. You are perfect as you are. You are enough. When you are in the quiet moments, when you find that time to be quiet, you know deep down that you are in actual fact enough. So if there's one message I can give you, it's that you are enough. Find some self-compassion, some self-love. Find that moment. Find those moments in your day where you can connect back with your enoughness. You are enough. And from that space, that will help you be the best you can be. Have the impact you want to have on the world and um, you know, live your life to the full. So there you go. Become the, life, the CEO of your own life, career and destiny. Why be the two I see when you can become the CEO instead? Welcome to the show. I'm Jane Lim. On the Breadwinning Mums podcast, we debunk the myths of working mums, cheer each other on, and show the world that it's okay to be a mum and still pursue excellence in your chosen area of expertise. Today we're chatting with a special guest who is not a breadwinning mum, but someone who helps breadwinning mums thrive in their roles. Amanda Bleasing is a mentor, speaker, and international author at the Ambition Revolution. We had a chat about the top challenges facing working mums and practical ways to overcome them, finding the mystical work-life balance, and how to be seen, heard, and promoted at work. Here we go with Amanda Bleasing. Hello, Amanda. Good morning, Jane. How are you? I'm a little sleepy because it's the morning here in Australia and I think it's the evening in New York. Is that correct? That's right. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background and how you came to be where you are? Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks, Jane. Uh, and I love talking about myself, although <laughs> uh, more importantly, I love talking about um uh, women, uh, you know, gender equity and how women mm. can really, you know, earn more, get great jobs and, 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 and get recognised for the contribution they actually make. I could talk with a mouthful of marbles underwater about it, but my own background came through the association sector. So, you know, that peak bodies, associations, perhaps um, your listeners are members of a peak body or an association. And uh, the association sector, I guess, helps professionals uh, be more professional, helps them do their job better, supports them in their journey to have more impact. And so my own career came through the ranks. And what I, what happened was I noticed uh, when I was working in the association sector, I worked for, with lawyers, I worked with insurers, I worked with policymakers, I worked with complaints professionals, and I even worked with fitness professionals. But what I noticed was that the, the men in the, the industries or the professions were much 
more comfortable putting their hand up for stretch uh, stretch opportunities and opportunities to showcase their talents and their expertise. So I'd call for papers and 10 men would put up their hand and say, oh, yes, I think I've got an idea. And they'd ring me up with a whisper of an idea and something they want to brainstorm. Maybe this would be really good for others to hear about. And yet maybe only one woman. Mm. Uh, And yet in the industries I was working in, there were a lot of women doing amazing work. And in in particular, the consumer affairs or complaints industry, that's a highly feminized industry, as you might imagine. And the women were doing amazing things, but were the last person to say, yes, I'm doing something amazing and I'd like to share it with others. Mm. And so I called for award nominations and the women were all running around nominating their junior staff, which is the right thing to do. And I loved it because it meant that the industry was more relevant and sustainable over the long term. But then they were too worn out or maybe they had a dose of imposter syndrome or they ran out of time and didn't have enough time to perhaps uh, write their own nominations. And I'm like, Mm. but you're amazing. You should write a nomination or get someone to help you write your nomination because mm. oh, I'm not really sure if I'm good enough. So I could see this time and time again, which is in fact what gave me the inspiration to, to do what I do. And usually someone reaches out to me when they've had that moment, that aha moment, like, oh, my gosh, I've spent my entire career making other people look good and I haven't done the same for myself. So that's what I do. I teach women a strategic and powerful approach to halve your effort and double your impact because I think women are really busy. I think women are busy enough. So that's what I do. Halve your impact. Sorry, halve your effort, but double your impact. Mm. And that's excellent. Thank you so much. And you are doing this through your own um, your own company, right? AmandaBleasing.com? Yes, that's right. Thank you yep. for my URL, yeah, amandablessing.com. I've written two yep. books. I've got an yep. online. I've got several online courses, but I've got a, um, Invisible to Invincible, the online course. I run the She Sweet Club. And I guess what I'm most known for is my one-on-one coaching, helping mm. women into the C-suite, helping mm. women step up, take their seat at the table, own their seat at the table, learn how to express their voice, when mm. they have that seat at the table and to flourish while they're there because it can mm. be absolutely draining. So mm. that's what that's that's where that's my sweet spot or what I'm known most for. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And how long was the journey from the moment when you really noticed that women are not speaking out as much for themselves until you actually created something that all women can actually um, get value from? Well, it's really interesting because I was the CEO of a nonprofit, uh, a a CEO of uh, an association, and I was there for six years and it was just this evolving, evolving idea that I had or this feeling that there was something more. One, I felt that I wanted, I Mm. thought that when I was the CEO that that would be the pinnacle. And then once I was the CEO of an organisation, I realised that in fact, when you're the CEO of an organisation, you're reporting to a board. And at one point I had 17 bosses, 17 board members. Mm. And all of a sudden, you know, there was this growing awareness that, gosh, I want to be I want to be the boss of me. I want to be mm. the CEO of my own life, career and destiny. I've always shied away of running my own business in the past. And all of a sudden I went, you know what? 
as scary this as is it, it is, I want to have a go. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to do it with something that gave me, that I was passionate about. And it yeah. took me a while. I, uh, I sort of, uh, you know, quit my job, uh, had a long notice period, and I worked with a coach or a mentor in order to uncover what my thing was. And that took three or four months. And then, of course, imposter syndrome struck. And <laughs> so another two or three months before I actually published my first blog about the ambition gap between men and women. And that was the launch of my business. And then it probably took another six months before I went, yeah, this is it. <laughs> uh, wow. This is going to work. This is it. So it really, yeah. it was like nine months. <laughs> and wow. I, I think that's a little bit like a pregnancy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just the right amount of incubation time. Yeah, yeah, it took so it really did. It took about nine months before I really felt like this is it. This is the what this is going to work. This mm. is almost not quite who I am, but this is so ingrained in in who I am and how I like to be and and who I like to help mm. and the women where I can have most impact with. And that's mm. what gets me out of bed every day and gets me up early doing podcasts with people like <laughs> Okay, excellent. And so when was that? When did you finally start your own project? It was 2014. And towards the end of 2014, I launched. So it's almost a decade. Yeah. Congratulations. Can you you. tell us a little bit more about that first blog about the ambition gap? Gosh, it's a long time ago. But what when in my reading, what I had learned was that people say that women aren't as ambitious as men. And I am quite happy to say, hand on heart, research-based, evidence-based, that that is not the case. And in actual fact, I call bullshit on that. Am I allowed to say that on your podcast? I call bullshit on that because it's not true. It's just that uh, women express their ambition in different ways or they feel it in different ways. And men and women correlate success and ambition differently. Mm. So for a man... He's socialized to correlate success and ambition with financial gain. I get a promotion, it comes with a pay rise, therefore I am successful. And that's mm. what society sort of dictates that men mm. uh, how you know that men are successful in that way. But for women, it's slightly different. So for a woman, um, uh, you know, she might want the money. You know, money is really important. And I call this the feminine ambition trifecta. So uh, for a woman, she wants the money. That's important. But if she doesn't feel like she has a voice and is heard, mm. and if she doesn't feel she, like she's actually making a difference, mm. so money, voice, and making a difference, if she doesn't feel like she's got the whole three, she's mm. far more likely to pick up her bat, ball, and briefcase and go and do something different. And this is the, uh, I, you know, the, the difference. So it's not that we're not as ambitious. It's just that we, we value different things. We want more out of our work. We want more meaning out of our work, money and meaning and feeling mm. like um, we, we're actually listened to. And that is the challenge. So, mm. yes, that's like the first blog and I sort of was talking about the ambition gap and how we can overcome that and mm. inspiring women to keep going on their journey to be heard and make a difference. It's mm. great.
So out of the last decade that you've been working on um, empowering women out there, what are the top three challenges that you see that are quite common to working mums, especially all across the, uh, the age gap? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'd say the first thing is this confidence issue and um, uh, confidence, like almost a crisis of confidence um, or women certainly express their lack of confidence more than men. And I think we're socialised a little bit to do it. You know, it's the the modesty norm. We're not supposed to, you know, supposed to uh, big note ourselves or, you know, be overtly confident, you know, the humility mm. standards mm. for women. And so I think that that's a really big one. And I suspect that, during uh, during motherhood, pregnancy, etc., a lot of women undergo a crisis of confidence because they're worn out because they they have perhaps taken their foot off the accelerator of their career because they're getting messages from different uh, different people in their lives about whether they should or should not return to the work to work whether they should or should not be ambitious whether they you know how they should live their lives they're getting mixed messages from society and people close to them about how they live how they live their lives so I really see that confidence is a really big barrier at any stage in your career even if you've elected not to have kids are you know or, or perhaps you're a past your, you know, your child-rearing age and perhaps at the other end of your career and um, maybe you're uh, feeling older, feeling worn out and older and am I too old? Or perhaps you've now got ageing parents that you're caring for. So often women pick up the brunt of caring for ageing parents as well and it comes at just the wrong time. Mm. Maybe when you're at your peak earning potential yeah. at the other end of your career, your peak leadership potential when you've got your confidence back, mm. but it, it hits again. So that's probably one of the big issues I think that women really face at mm. all stages of their career, the crisis of confidence, self-doubt, wondering if we're good enough and, and, and navigating our way through that. Mm. Of course, the big one is the system is broken and I can't. I can't not say that, you know, and the, the mm. system is broken, whether you're confident or not. Mm. The system is broken. It doesn't support women. It actually supports men. It, it, it sees the way men tackle their career as the normal way, as the only way, and anything else is an aberration. And that's tough for men who want a different uh, career or, or want to opt for family as well. We, you know, we hear of men being criticised when they perhaps become the, the person who stays at home and looks after kids. Um, we see that men are deemed less than ambitious and their careers suffer as well. So the system is definitely broken. So that's probably the biggest issue. <laughs> um, mm. So we've got confidence. We've got the system is broken. Oh, I'm just trying to think which one to pick for number three. I think that the third issue would be the lack of a, a real uh, career success pathway or roadmap. Mm. There is no career success path, pathway or roadmap for women. It's because it's sort of relatively new, you know, the last 50 or so years, women have been making their way through the workforce and up into leadership roles, making their way to earning more, uh, 
um, you know, career success, being promoted and, uh, and making a difference. Or, so that's relatively new for women. Before mm. that, women just sort of had a job, but it wasn't this, this notion that you want to progress your career or be ambitious in your career is still relatively new. So there is no clearly defined roadmap, which is why mm. I've created one <laughs> mm. in my Invisible to Invincible online course. I've actually created a career success road, roadmap for women who want a career in the corporate sector. So that's the crisis of confidence you know, the, uh, the big one, which is the system is broken, and the third one is there is no career success roadmap or no, no clearly defined career success roadmap, and it mm. keeps moving. The goalposts keep moving. What's expected of you keep moving. What's uh, the, the uh, outcomes keep moving. The double standards keep moving. The, uh, the, 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 your need to uh, uh, overprove yourself when you get to work keeps moving. So those are the three things I think are really, really important. Mm, excellent. So let's start with the first one, confidence. What do you think, uh, would if you had to choose one thing that you have told all of your female clients over the past decade about how to overcome their underconfidence, be it the young mom who have just returned back to work or the fully ready CEO who has, you know, the dreaded syndrome, what would you tell them or what have you told them that? actually move the needle in that regards hey, confidence is a really big one and I work with junior women you know women junior in the workforce and I work with senior level women and at every stage crisis uh, confidence uh, is an issue at every mm. stage and as I said before is it because women are more likely to express that their lack of comp that you know they're feeling lack of confidence or is it real you know in fact the scientists aren't out they don't know if it's um hormone washes or or is it uh, uh that we socialized they, you know they still dispute it even the experts still dispute what why women uh feel perhaps feel less confident or express that they feel less confidence but the big step is and i've got this um and it was a really great book by Caddy Kay and Claire Shipman. And if you haven't read it, go out and get this book. It's just great. Uh, the Confidence Code. And if you haven't got time to read a, a book because you're super busy, get onto The Atlantic and read The Confidence Gap by the, the same two women, uh, Caddy Kay and Claire Shipman. And they're both um, media journalists uh, and, and they were both experiencing this crisis of confidence. And their find was that the fix to lack of confidence or the fix to exper experiencing low confidence or that you're, you're fixed to feeling like uh, you're an imposter or a fraud is to take action. Just do something. Action fixes low confidence. And it goes like this. With action comes certainty, comes clarity, which boosts your confidence. So action, just do something in the direction of your choice, even if you're feeling um, low confidence, and it can be a baby step. It doesn't have to be a huge step, but do something. Take a baby step in the direction of your choice and it will start to increase your confidence. So nice. there you go. That's something you can do. And I like the notion of baby steps too. I like the notion that there's little things we can do along the way. Mm. It doesn't have to be big, bold, audacious moves. And I think that 
you know, on Instagram and, in, you know, in the media, we read stories, uh, the hero stories, aren't they, about men and women doing big, audacious, bold moves, big, courageous moves. Maybe mm. we don't feel ready to do a big, courageous move. And it probably doesn't make good media or a good article in, in a magazine. Mm. But baby steps are the way to go. Just start taking baby steps towards your choice. Mm. just do something and your confidence will grow in small ways think of it like compound interest in the bank it will keep (laughs) growing yeah yeah nice okay great and so let's talk about the second one which is a much harder problem to solve the broken system obviously we can't change everyone in the universe but what can we do that can change our own little universe we can Call out or reframe bias when we see it. I think that's something we can all do. You know, we can make sure that when we bring up our own kids that we're, we're um, you know, reading as much as we can around making sure that we, you know, encourage our young boys and girls to not be brought up in the same way we we were with the narrow stereotype norms. That can be really limiting for both for all genders, you know, but mm. for, for everyone, it's not binary. Um, so I think that that's something we can do. But on an individual level, I think where we see people around us uh, mm. perhaps making biased or stereotype choices or narrow choices, we can ask questions. Is that the only way? Um, mm. And sometimes that can be scary because you don't want to be criticised. So I'm trying to think of a practical example. Certainly, when I was a young woman, uh, I, I remember I was perhaps a little bit strong, you know. So I remember as a nineteen-year-old, um, the my my church youth group leader came and opened up the car door for me to, in a, in a polite way to let me in, and I was like, "You don't need to do." <laughs> you don't need to do that for me," I said as a brash nineteen-year-old. I've got equal rights. <laughs> and perhaps um, that wasn't the best way. Uh, I could have introduced the topic a little bit more gently to bring him along for the journey. <laughs> but I think, you know, we can ask questions. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, we can ask questions. Is you know, Do you think all women feel like this? Or do you think men don't want this too? Perhaps mm. we can ask questions that help other people see that, the assumption they're making is narrow and uh, narrow and limiting to women. Do you, would you do the same for a male staff member? As mm. would you offer the same opportunity to a man? Would you give this same feedback to a man? Mm. Um, you know, would would you give this same same feedback to to uh, one of my male peers? Mm. Would you make the same? Would you be making the same suggestion to one of my male peers? I think we can ask questions to to um, to sort of illuminate mm. where we are seeing perhaps that the feedback was different or the opportunities were different or you know where we where we can. But I think we we do need to get involved in our workplaces mm. in, in the gender equity sort of initiatives. We do need to get involved. And while that sort of work is not 
unfortunately, non-promotable. It's one of those non-promotable tasks. It is important we get involved. And in actual fact, it does help you, you feel more confident that when you're surrounded by like-minded women. It will help you make those more bold, courageous moves when you get involved at work. Thank you so much for that. Um, I'd like to go into the third point, which is lack of career progression or lack of roadmap, which I'm sure you can help out uh, with this. Um, but I found it interesting in that I think I heard about this a while ago, um, that men tend to have a lot more advances in their career progression because of the you know established boys club basically that happens in the background um, and women don't really have this close-knit um, interrelationship that happens in the background that can really help you uh, with your career trajectory um, but also in combination with that concept the fact that nowadays we tend to have about three career progressions separate ones that are that may not be related to each other um, so how do you combine all this with your offering well just let's just talk about um that network that men have because i think that's really important mm. uh, and i want to talk about it from two perspectives one is that women who network like men in actual fact, don't advance as much as women who network like women. Mm. So I think we've historically been taught we should network like men. Um, and I want to reiterate that you don't have to network like a man in order to get ahead. In actual fact, uh, it can be detrimental to your career. Now, there was some research in 2019 that um, I, I've recently been talking about, and it talked, you know, I think they interviewed 750 senior level women or men and women, and they, they, worked, they worked out that women who collected a, a really big network like men and or who had other men in their uh, 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 inner circle giving them career advice didn't progress in their careers as much as or as well or as easily as women who had a cohort of like-minded women. Hmm. So the first thing I would say is get yourself a cohort of like-minded women, which is why I created my She Sweet Club for my clients so they've got a cohort of hmm. like-minded women, hmm. career-minded women who can help support them on their way. But the the research supports women the reason it's different is because um, women uh, perhaps have more quality conversation around career. Like they mm. get you get together and you you know you're you're supportive of each other. You we go into detail about what we're struggling our feelings, with, our frustration. Yeah, yeah, we're not afraid and to go deep overcome. into them. Yeah. And that's the trick. We want to be talking about how to overcome these mm. issues, mm. tactics about how to navigate bias, how to navigate lack of opportunity, how to navigate um, uh, career blocks, how to navigate difficult conversations around um, mm. lack of career progress or how to navigate negotiation discussions, mm. how, to how to navigate asking for a pay rise when we've feel like we might be criticised if we do. So those conversations with like-minded, career-minded women are so good for you. So women mm. who network like women are apps do really much, well, do better than women who network like men. Mm. 
The other thing is, I think that what we haven't done, and perhaps I think women who are at home child rearing for a period of time, taking a parental break or something like that, I think that we miss out on that. We mm. we 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 aren't surrounding ourselves with like-minded women necessarily. Now, for for women who are you know in 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 work or about to go back to work or you know you need you actually need a board of directors so what does a board of directors look like so often we appoint mentors and people who can coaches and they're great but what you actually need and this is where the boys network really does show show us the way you actually need champions and sponsors and I bet you don't have them and if you do congratulations give yourself a pat on the back but you also need champions and sponsors so what's a champion someone who uh, what champions and sponsors open doors for you give you opportunities make introductions uh, help you progress your career so you need to Build those people into your career planning. So into mm. your career success roadmap, you need champions and sponsors who will help you open doors. Mm. Where do women uh, get stuck is that we're building uh, uh, champions and sponsors and, and one of them will say to you, so what do you want? Mm. And nine times out of ten, for some reason, we'll say, oh, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Uh, what have yeah. you got? Mm. Nah. What you will be told by recruiters, by your mentors, by champions and sponsors is to get really clear so they can help you. Mm. So start doing the work about being really clear about what you do want. Mm. Be really clear so that you can tell them what you do want Mm. and they can help open doors in order for you to be able to land that opportunity. Now, you might not know the exact job title, but start being really clear about, you know, I'm looking for my next uh, career move. I'm looking for my next challenge. It's in a management position or a leadership role. It involves people. It mm. involves customer. And, mm. uh, and I also love projects. So see how clear that sounds. Yeah. And so your champion or your sponsor is much more likely to be able to help you make that happen. Mm. So get really clear about what you do want. So there you go. There's some elements that you want in your career success roadmap. Yeah, that's great. I was definitely guilty of that. I met with someone who um, can definitely be my champion, uh, but I made the mistake of not knowing my ask. And I made another mistake of thinking that it would have been a friendship of some sort. Um, are you able to distinguish between your relationship with your champions and sponsors versus your best pals? Well, you're, that's great. And, and Jane, I have to say I've made the mistake too, which is how I know, you know, that was mm. when I read about, you know, saying, oh, I'm not really sure what I want. Or mm. I heard from other people saying, gosh, one of the things that mm. the women I help could be more clear about what they want. Mm. I went, oh, my gosh, I've done that. Oh, my goodness, yep. I, I remember. And I remember in going to a recruiter, mm. I, you know, I was looking for a role, I was looking to resign and I, I wanted a new role and I knew mm. I wanted something different but I didn't know what I want. And I remember almost 
the recoil on the recruiter's mm. face. She's like, mm. oh, this person's really needy. I don't mm. know how to help them. Yes. If they could tell me more, it was like, mm. Mm. and I remember seeing that in the moment. Mm. So, Jane, I've done it too. You've done it too. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get clear about what we want. And I think sometimes women don't do that because we don't mm. want to pigeon ourselves into and then to the wrong opportunity or, or, or create too narrow an ask because we're thinking, well, there might not be an opportunity like that. Or um, even being too direct and 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 be almost feel like you're trying to use that person. Yeah. 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 Good point. But in my mind or in my experience, what I have found that other people love to help if they can. Exactly. Yeah, so it's just a reframing, right, in your own mind. Yeah, so other people love to help if they can. Mm. They they find it hard to help if you're very needy, yeah. but they can help if you, like, yeah. this, is where I, this is where I add great value, this is what I've done in the past, this is mm. what I'd like more of. Mm. If you like that, then they'd yeah. love to, in yeah. general, love to help. Yeah, yeah, good point, reframe that, yeah. Mm. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about She Sweet? Oh, she Sweet, that's my baby at the moment. So it was, um, uh, I, I launched the She Sweet Club in 2022 and maybe it was, I was a bit late to the party in establishing an online platform for um, for women, for, uh, you know, women serious about their career. Maybe I was a bit late to the party, uh, but it was in response to uh, during the pandemic and and, you know, COVID, uh, what I was finding was that women really wanted to work with me and they were reaching out to work with me. And I had more women than ever reaching out to work with me because obviously, you know, career was really important and women were finding themselves out of work. And they were reaching out to work with me and I only had a one-on-one option. And, you know, it was a a premium one-on-one coaching option because I tend to work with women who are are serious about investing in their career and at that leadership at that leadership the cusp of getting into the c-suite the cusp of landing that uh c-level role uh, which you know um, these women are paid really big salaries and or or are super prepared to invest big money in themselves and so uh, what I was finding was having lots and lots of conversations with women who simply could not afford that it was well out of their price range and well out of, uh, and, you know, they just were not in a position to be able to invest in themselves in that way, even if they wanted to. Like they love the idea of the program, but um, but just, just could not afford it. And, you know, the economic uncertainty of the pandemic and even now the economic uncertainty of, um, you know, we're talking about recessions and high interest rates and mortgage interest rates going up and it's actually a really economically uncertain time so I created the She Sweet Club to provide an online platform where people or women could access the IP that I talk about in Invisible to Invincible which is my uh, second book Uh, it became an Amazon bestseller in 2019 Um, and in actual fact I'm launching my second edition uh, of that this year, uh, which I'm really super excited about, but more on that later. So the She Sweet Club is based based on that, and because inside the She Sweet Club we have group coaching every month, we have you know chat and conversations, 
um, you know, on a daily basis. We run challenges every month. So every month I used to do a challenge. So we've got, you know, a couple of months ago, we had a LinkedIn challenge. Last month we had a fitness challenge. So it's like the women who wanted to play along were all like encouraging each other to daily uh, well-being and fitness activities. And this this next month, we've got another LinkedIn challenge because, you know, my expertise is around self-promotion. So we've got another LinkedIn challenge this month. Um, so we've got monthly challenges. We've got group coaching. We've got, uh, and, and plus, we've got Invisible to Invincible, the career success roadmap for women, which is a 12-week course and it's mm. housed inside the club so people join and they can start at any time and every now and then we do a launch and a bunch of people start all at once and that t- takes people through a journey uh self-paced journey over 12 weeks um, mm. with eight modules so super nice. fun super exciting it's a great platform we get to be best buds on the platform. You know, I'm in there on a daily basis. I've got a couple of other moderators who work with me who are in there sort of encouraging people, pointing people in the right direction to find career resources, mm. how to get a new job, how to interview, how to, you know, all the tools and skills that you might need, how to mm. negotiate. Here's a negotiation preparation sheet. Here's an interview preparation sheet. All the tools you need to be really successful in your career. I so that's love the it. Sweet club, and it's my baby. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I hang out good with her all you. the time, so that's why I love <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, I wanted to also ask you about your growing in confidence that you mentioned before, um, and you've written a few articles about it, made a few presentations about it, and we did talk about it before as well. Um, but if there was one thing that women can do other than just start with it to really elevate that confidence from learning to actually being expert in whatever it is that they try to um, pursue. What would that be? Mm, mm, Interesting. So we're talking about growing confidence. Confidence Mm. is really interesting. Uh, Can I take a step back? Because I want to talk a little bit about some brain biology that perhaps you and your listeners might not be aware of. Mm. And that can really undermine confidence. And I think once you know about this, mm. it might help you. Uh, it might help your listeners um, mm. see themselves uh, uh, navigate through this more easily. And I mentioned before that in actual the researchers are out, you know, as to what contributes to women feeling or expressing that they are less confident. Um, whether is it is it hormones, is it brain biology, is there no difference? Like the researchers are out, they don't really, they can't really agree. And these are, you know, these are the people who research this stuff all the time and, you know, immerse themselves in this. They actually can't agree. They differ in their opinions. But one thing I found absolutely fascinating is around, you know, in um, brains and in the base of the brain, you might have heard of the amygdala, which is yes. an area at the base of the brain, which is uh, that area of the brain that responds to immediate stress, fight, flight, freeze. You know, uh, so when you're under pressure, you, you know, do we do we freeze? Do we run? Do or we come out fighting? Now, uh, two elements to this. One is that old research was done only on male subjects. Did you know that? 
Mm, no, I did not. Whether we come out, do we uh, fight, yeah. flight, or freeze when yeah. we're under pressure, uh, under stress? And it, that was done on only male subjects. So more recently, this the research has been repeated with mixed gender um, test subjects, and it's been found that women have additional responses, including one response called tend and befriend. So under pressure, women go into not only, but mm. many women go into tend and befriend mode. We switch mm. into nurture. We start nurturing others when, you know, when we're under pressure. And I find mm. that absolutely fascinating. Mm. Uh, but what I saw during COVID and the pandemic and various lockdowns is that mm. many of my clients, myself included, we and many of the women I was speaking with were going into tend and befriend mode. So mm. we were putting our needs second. Mm. and looking at prioritizing everyone else's needs above our own so if you're still in that mode I want you to you know you come back to priority number one is you and you mm. need to start putting yourself first again and start mm. making the moves on your career because when you earn more money it's not a bad thing it's good for your family women donate more to, to um, charities etc women give back more women invest in their communities more it's a really good thing mm. so um, that's one aspect, but I want to talk about this other aspect, which I think will help you uh, with the confidence. Mm. And that's ne near the amygdala. There's another area called the anterior cingulate cortex. So it's in that reaction center of your brain. So you don't, you're not, this is not an area where you're thinking things through. It's in the reaction center of your brain. So the role of the anterior cingulate cortex is to scan. It's constantly scanning for risks and uh, risks and things that might go wrong. It's a lot like a virus scanner on your laptop. It's constantly scanning for little things that might go wrong, like what's in your peripheral vision, hmm. you know, the hair on your back of your neck. Mm, goodness. Oh, wow. Is that, is that a threat? That's what it's doing. Hmm. What's fascinating is it grows to be twice the size in women than in men. Mm. Twice the size of women than in men. And some say that it might do that during uh, in motherhood. Some say, but I don't have kids of my own, so I can't say that. Uh, you know, some say that we're socialised like that and we know about neuroplasticity where your brain uh, the neural pathways go thicker and areas of your brain get larger when you think a certain way and do it a lot, then that's the way that, you know, your brain, your brain area gets bigger. So mm. whether we're socialised or whether it's hormone washes or whether it's um, uh, we just grow that way because we think a lot like that, but it, mm. this is the worry wart centre. Its nickname is the worry wart centre. That's what they nickname it. So it's where we second guess ourselves. It's where yeah. we worry about things. It's where yeah. we agonise over, oh, I'm not really sure which way to go. I can't make that decision. Mm. So I think that we need to, you know, there's a little bit in your brain that's grown, perhaps worrying a lot. Mm. I think if we can learn to separate ourselves from the worry wart centre and go, mm. okay, maybe my worry wart centre is being overactive today. Mm. Here's this tool I use and whether it's the 478 breathing technique, inhale for four, hold for seven, exhale for eight, with the tip of your tongue on the roof of your mouth and exhale through your mouth, eight counts. So it goes mm. four, three, two, one, hold one, then hold seven, mm -hmm. five, three, two, and then exhale eight, eight, 
seven, six, five, four, three, two, and one. Do that through four times, and that's a great circuit breaker. Mm. I bet you stop worrying at the end of that. Another <laughs> tool to stop worrying, belly breathe. So just sit for a moment and breathe. Let your diaphragm drop into your belly mm. as you breathe, as you inhale. Do that four to eight times. Mm. Uh, and, and I bet you'll notice, oh, I've stopped worrying. And mm. then you can just move forward and take start mm. taking those baby steps. So I've given you two little actionable steps there to help mm. nip that worry wart center in the in the bud so you mm. can just get on and start doing things that open up mm. the next pathway for what you should be doing next. Can you tell us a little bit more about know your worth slash salary negotiation concept that you talk about with your um, female clients? Yeah, gosh, salary negotiation is tough, isn't it? Even I know that I made every negotiation mistake in the book, even though I got to be a CEO. I, you know, I I made every mistake. But what was fascinating for me was um, when I was the CEO of. Um, the Complaints Association or Complaint Professional Association, what I worked with a lot of women. So a lot of women in the the membership were dispute resolution experts. So that means they were really good at negotiation. In actual fact, their job was to negotiate on behalf of others. Mm. So they were some of the best in Australia and New Zealand these were some of the best negotiators in the country. Mm. Um, you wanted them on your side. If you if you had a dispute with your mortgage, if you had a dispute with your power bill or your water bill with, with, uh, with their car financing, these were the women you wanted negotiating on your side. They were so good, that expert negotiators. Mm. What I found fascinating was that I had lots of conversations with each and every one of them about how to negotiate more in their salary because they would come to me. I was the you know, mm. head of the, the peak body for mm. complaint professionals and dispute resolution professionals. They mm. would come to me and at some point in their membership would talk to me around, oh, I really struggle with negotiating mm. on my mm. own. And that, that was, led me to start researching about this or start reading more about this. And I found that women really struggle with self-negotiation because mm. we're worried that we'll come across as greedy or mm. that we're worried we'll, um, people will not like us. And there's some mm. truth in that. When mm. women self-negotiate, it yeah. can trigger others to mm. deem us, you know, think we're being greedy. So we have mm. to learn to we have to learn to navigate that. But I don't want that to stop you self-negotiating. It's really, really important that you do. Mm. Um, so here's some tactics that I can uh, give you in actual fact to uh, start negotiating really skillfully. The first one is when we uh, align ourselves with a standard or a benchmark, others are likely to uh, less likely to think we're being greedy. So it's like, oh, I've done the research and I can see that the salary benchmark for someone in my position is this dollar value. So can we please, uh, you know, have a conversation? about how we get my salary to that. Mm. Okay, so you're aligning yourself with an industry benchmark or a salary benchmark. The the best question you can actually ask is, has this role or has this salary been benchmarked? And you might Mm. ask that of HR to find out. 
Mm. Um, so that's a really good tactic. Another tactic for women is perhaps to align themselves to a mission or a cause. So when you're negotiating on your own behalf, it's like um, I, this is what I use for myself. I say I'd be letting down all women everywhere if I didn't negotiate because I am, you know, believe it or not, I am regularly asked to speak for free. A lot of women speakers are. And, uh, and it's often we're asked by women. <laughs> and so I now say, in actual fact, I'd be letting down all women everywhere if I didn't negotiate. How can we solve this together? So there's two aspects to that, and you can do this too. I'd be letting down all women everywhere if I didn't negotiate for my salary. That's you know, part one. Part two is how can we solve this together? Treat it like a collaborative problem-solving approach. And I think those, those three tactics, you know, hmm. benchmark, aligning, you know, I'd be letting down all women everywhere, and you are because every time you get a pay rise, all women everywhere get a minuscule pay rise. You're actually lifting the benchmark or lifting the standard for all women everywhere. So align mm. yourself with all women. And how can we solve this together? Talk to your boss about that. How can we solve this together? Um, how can we get my salary to be the same as this? Or how can we increase? I know you've said there's no money left in the kitty for salary increases, but how can we solve this together? Because uh, I w- want to stay in this company, but I'm not earning as much as my peers outside an industry. How can we solve this together? It might be there's other ways, that's other lines on the PL where that money can come from, such as training, such as, um, you know, there might be other elements that you, that mm. where the money can come from. Nice. So I hope I've given you some tactics there, practical tactics that you can go away and use in fact to negotiate rather than just principles. I want, I want to give you really practical advice. Yeah, excellent. Thank you for that. Um, so talking about practical advice, we know that Women of Impact Retreat is coming up. The June session has been sold out, I, um, I understand, but the one at the end of the year is still open. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Wow. Many years ago, back in the 90s, I used to go to this amazing part of the world up in far north Queensland. Uh, For those in the US, um, far north Queensland is very tropical, possibly a little bit like Florida. It's amazing. And it's it's beautiful. It's lush. It's green. In actual fact, the area is now used. I I notice um, a lot of movies are filmed in that area because it's lush and green and, and not particularly hugely populated so it's a beautiful space a beautiful area it's where I go uh, have gone since the 90s when I want to have those breakthrough moments when I want to take time to reflect why because it's lush and green and warm and uh, uh, and also because it's a little bit remote so it takes three or four hours on a, on a plane from most locations in Australia some I think eight hours from Perth <laughs> it's a little bit remote. And so you feel justified in switching off your mobile phone and, uh, and downing, downing those regular tools and just being in the moment, you know, being in the pool, taking walks in lush tropical rainforest, um, just being, being by yourself, journaling, reflecting. It's beautiful. So that's where I've gone for years. And so some years ago I was like, I would like to take women away on a retreat, 
where do I go to have most of my breakthrough moments? Oh, my gosh, I want to take them with me to Palm Cove. That's where I go. So that's what I've done. I established some retreats four or five years ago. I've been going there ever since. And the first year we had uh, about 15 women, the next year 19 women, and it's been growing. And so the June retreat, we've got 30-plus women coming, and it's sold out. Mm. We so I've just launched the August retreat, so there are still spaces in August 2023, and yes, there are still spaces uh, on that retreat, and I would absolutely love it if you were able to make it. What do we talk about? So it's the theme is always thrive, not just survive. How do we get you back to thriving, not just surviving? So yeah, there is a little bit of down tools. You know, we put our mobiles away during during the sessions. I make we don't start at nine a.m. We start late. We we start you know there's something optional early in the morning, a yoga or a walk or something we can do together, or you can just spend time journaling and just being you know in communion with yourself. We get going at 9.30 in the morning. We do sessions. I bring in some guest experts. And also you get lots of time with me, helping, facilitating your conversation and dialogue with yourself and mapping out your next year on how you can be the best version of yourself. What I love about it is, you know, we leave our kids at home. (laughs) We leave our significant others at home or at least back in the hotel room. And this is your opportunity to connect in with yourself. and, And... really connecting with who you are as a person, addressing roadblocks, addressing Mm. your own mindset blocks and addressing like who do you want to be? Who's the best you can be and how you're going to get there for the next, the rest of the year. So that's what we do. We look at branding. We look at leadership. We look at uh, mindsets. The last year we did money mindset. We did um, leading in masculine dominated environments. We did a lot of branding work and, you know, uh, and we did a lot of sharing with the women and hearing from women in different industries. Look, mm. it's truly one of the favourite times of year for me. And this year I'm in for a treat. I've got two. Yay. I'm hoping that <laughs> two of your listeners can join me. you also talk a lot about how to be seen, heard and promoted. And that might go hand in hand with the strategic visibility concept. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And especially for moms who are either on the way to take a maternity leave or who have just came back from a maternity leave? Yeah. Um, How to be seen, heard and promoted without spending hours in the office. Oh, my gosh, such a popular topic. I ran a webinar on it late last year, and that's available on my website um, as well. So, Jane, what I might do is I might give you some links which you can put with the show notes uh, Hmm. so that, um, you know, you can give your readers access to that webinar. How to be seen, heard, and promoted without spending hours in the office. Um, And so the concept I teach is uh, around strategic visibility. So visibility, what is visibility? Visibility. visibility is this thing where uh, it's a way of signaling to bosses, decision makers, that we are serious about our career. And the problem for women is often we become intentionally, we, we haven't understood the role of visibility necessarily. Maybe we haven't been taught it via our networks. So I am teaching it to you now, but we haven't. So sometimes we lean out from our visibility and, and they call it intentional invisibility. 
And sometimes say you're thinking, oh, I'm thinking of having a baby in a few months, uh, you know, getting pregnant in a few months, so or I'm about to take some leave uh, or I'm about to take some study leave even. So what we do is we lean out from our visibility activities. We think, oh, uh, uh, I'm not going to be around in a few months' time, so I'll just lean back and I'll let someone else have a go. Not understanding that you can still lean in and still maintain your visibility because you might be able to negotiate a later start date. You might get Mm. a promotion while you're on parental leave. And, yes, promotions and pay rises do happen to people who are on parental leave. Um, You might might be planning on doing some study leave, but that's exactly if you're being visible, you might be able to negotiate that when you come Mm. back from your study leave, there is a promotion and a pay rise there for you. You might be able to actually build that in. We haven't Mm. understood that that is the game. Just because you're taking leave doesn't make you less valuable. Your worth is not there. You're not Mm. employed for your time. You're employed Mm. for your potential impact. So Mm. I want you to remember that. That comes Mm. back to that negotiation does the discussion as well. We are not, no longer, it's no longer about the time. We are not trading money for time. We're trading impact for time. Mm. And at a certain point in your career, you have to own that. So strategic visibility is how can we be strategic about our visibility opportunities so we don't feel overexposed or worn out? Mm. You don't want to be on LinkedIn all day, every day. That's being overexposed and gets Mm. you worn out. You can't be in the office all day and every day. At some point, you have to be doing some work. You can't be in front of decision makers all day and every day. At some point, you need to be at your desktop doing some work. So how can we be strategic? So in the webinar, and I'll give you a sneak peek, I talk about um, one of my clients who, so she worked out that her the bulk of her work was with an overseas client. So, and that was done uh basically after after Australian business hours. So what she would do, and she had kids, so what she would do is come into the office um, a little bit late, so drop the kids off at school, and then she'd come into the office, and then her office was on a low lower level than the executive suites. So she used to just, just go straight to her office and just work with her team. She had a big team. Uh, but what she worked out was that if she went up to the executive suites and made sure to say hello to all the executives on her way through, confidently talk with them about their initiatives and maybe how she could help or any ideas, she would confidently say hello um, to each of the executives on her way through from the car park to her desk mm. first thing in the morning. And she would, remember, she was a little bit late, so and that's okay. She would confidently and intentionally go and say hello and like talk about, oh, yeah, Brian, remember that, com- that meeting we've got tomorrow? I'm looking forward to bringing my ideas to that meeting. Oh, you know, Susie, uh, um, great to see you online yesterday. Really like to have a coffee with you one day soon. So she'd have those ad hoc conversations. Then she'd go to a desk. She'd do a bunch of work with her staff and, um, you know, get everything organised. From there, she would then go, okay, I need to go home so I could get online, one, pick up the kids, and two, get online for my international client where she was doing the bulk of her work. So once again, she would go back upstairs, have those conversations, those visible conversations, making sure that as many of the executives could see her as as she could make happen, and then she would go home. And then, you know, because she was invisible when she was working with her international client. That tactic, that strategic visibility tactic, got her not just promoted but in line and being groomed to be uh to be groomed to be the CEO. So there was a pipeline, a pipeline towards CEO. Nice. That's huge. 
So mm. she wasn't spending hours in the office. She was just mm. being strategic about mm. making sure she was seen by the right people in the right time. So that right time was her time when she could make it happen in the right place, up on their level uh, mm. with the right key messages. She did think about what she would say and have the conversation she would have while she was going through that, that, those, that executive suite. Yeah. So think about how you might use that idea. How can you get in front of decision makers? So it might be in online forums and, make, you know, making sure you stand out. You're not just a square on a screen, that you do have your video on and you do wear a jacket or a top, <laughs> you know, a, a bright colours and get your background looking super professional so you do stand out in the right way. It might mm. be that you learn to ask smart questions from the back of the room so you do stand out mm. uh, in front of decision makers or in forum where de- forums where decision makers are. Mm. How can you be strategically and intentionally more visible? Mm. Not just visible all the time so you're overexposed and worn mm. out. Mm. How can you make visibility work for you? Even if you're off on parental leave, how can you regularly keep in touch with the people, who, you know, your manager, you know, whether it's send them a monthly email uh, with an article of interest. What can you do to be strategically more visible with the people who have the power over making decisions about your career? I so love that's it. That's my question to you. <laughs> mm. Thank you. That's super helpful. I know that this has been um, seen as everyone as a myth, work-life balance. How can women juggle this work-life balance myth? Does it really exist? And what are your takes on that? Yeah. Yeah, look, there's a lot of debate, and I don't think anyone is right and anyone is wrong. I, I fall in the school of we can have everything but just not do everything perfectly. That's, that's the side that I fall on. There's other people that say, say we can't have it, we have to pick one or two things that we're going to do really well. I don't think, that, I don't think it's that polarised. I think it, it's a combination of everything and there might be times in your life where you pick one or two things in your life to do really well and you let everything else drop. You, know, you might pursue career for a few years uh, and, and let everything else drop or it might be and that there's another time in your life where you go, actually, I want to I do everything. I just don't, don't do anything particularly, particularly well um, and I'm happy with that. Mm. I, I think it's... You've got to find what works for you, where you are healthy, where your priority number one is you and you are prioritising your health and well-being. Uh, and uh, if I, there was one thing I could say, if there was one thing I could give you, it, even if you're super serious about your career, you must maintain a minimum of 30 minutes of health and well-being management in your life, a day, mm. in your day. Mm. And I, how do I know this? Because... Um, I, I talk about, you know, focus on career for lots and lots of women. And I ran um, a little a, a group session with some CEOs and managing directors from some women. It was uh, 10 CEOs and managing directors with Gartner. And what was fascinating was I asked them to rate themselves on their health and well-being management and did they allocate themselves 30 minutes a day of health and well-being management. And that might be exercise, it might be meditation, it might be 
doing something for yourself every day that's a, that's that's about you and your health mm. and your well-being. Prioritizing mm. yourself is number one. Mm. And if you're not if you're not health, healthy and and there, you can't be there for family. You can't be there for staff. You can't be the best. You can't be there for yourself. Mm. And what was fascinating was that all of the women, ten out of ten, said that they. Uh, that they they really prioritise health and wellbeing management, and four out of ten, these are CEOs and managing directors, said that four of them said that they wouldn't be as successful if they didn't do it. It was part of their career success roadmap, mm. and I think that's critical. I think sometimes we imagine to get that to the top, you have to forsake everything yourself. You have to mm. give yourself up. But there's four out of ten saying if they hadn't prioritised their health and wellbeing management, they that they be wouldn't actually be the CEO or managing director. Mm. I think that's really, really important for us to, to remember, to mm. get to the top of whatever it is and the best you can be in your career. Mm. You have to prioritise your health and wellbeing. So please, <laughs> in your uh, striving for balance, if you can mm. put... 30 minutes in every day that help that 30 minutes health and well-being will help you have more perspective. It'll help you find the calm. It will help you find the balance. It'll help you step back, see things differently. That's why that's important. Because mm. it'll help you step back, be self-reflective, not go at things like a bullet a gate, not be so busy. It'll help you give you the perspective you need to be the best you can be. Uh, and find your work-life balance. Mm, perfect. Great. Mm. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for your time. Before we close, I do want to emphasize um, th that you are going to be releasing the second edition of your book, Invisible to Invincible. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what we can expect from the second edition? Well, you know, times have changed. I released the first edition in 2019 and, as I said, it got to be an Amazon bestseller for a moment in time, which was very, very exciting. And I know it's helped, you know, thousands of women because they write to me and they tell me, they, you know, that I get messages from people or I'm on LinkedIn and you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. But, you, you know, they, they'll message me on LinkedIn and say, oh, Amanda, I read your book. You know, I, I, I came across you and I read your book and I really like this, this aspect of it. Thank you so much. So uh, the second edition is coming out. Now, why did I write the second edition? Because so much research has come out since um, 2019, or since I wrote the book, so much more research, including that women do better when surrounded by a cohort of like-minded women. But I had to get that in the book. I had to. That's mm. so important. Um, so, so research has come out, but also my thinking has evolved as mm. my clients, so the progress of my clients has evolved. And I'm working more and more with women who have made it into that executive level, they have a seat at the table and or and or there's a CEO. Um, so I'm working more and more with those senior level women that they've, they, you know, they've progressed through those junior levels, they've cracked the C-suite, they now have a seat at the table. So I wanted to be able to bring those insights in. So in actual fact, I've added a whole new level and layer to the book. There's a whole new section that wasn't in the first book. Uh, how to become the CEO of your life, career, and destiny. Plus, there's new worksheets, there's new resources, and I give anyone who buys the book gets access to all sorts of 
fantastic resources. So it's a, you know, it's a really great investment in your career because you get access to all sorts of new tools, resources, worksheets, insights, case studies, and a whole new level. So connect with me on my you know, Instagram, on um, in LinkedIn. That's my preferred um, preferred platform. Or sign up to my email newsletter and, and become one of my invisible to invincible um, uh, launch champions mm. uh, because I'm going to be calling for champions because it's such a great message and I just really truly believe that women you know, women empowering other women will mm. be, you know, that's that's the way to go. So mm. sign up and become a launch champion and that would mm. be wonderful. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much again for your time and imparting your wisdom with us. If there was one thing that all breadwinning mums can take away from this conversation, what would that be? You are enough. I mentioned the self-doubt before and the low confidence Sometimes, you know, deep down inside, for some reason, well, I know why, society sends so many negative messages to women. We are, you know, constantly bombarded with advertising and messages that tells us, you know, we're too fat, too thin, that we're not good enough in some way, shape. You know, we're not stylish enough. We're not ambitious enough. We're not career-minded enough. We're, we're too career-minded. Like, we're constantly sent. Mm. Um, messages that criticize us in some way shape or form thousands of messages every day Mm. that that tell us we are not enough Mm. you are enough you are perfect as you are you are enough when you are in the quiet moments when you find that time to be quiet you know deep down that you are in actual fact enough so if there's one message I can give you it's that you are enough find some self-compassion some self-love Find that moment, find those moments in your day where you can connect back with your enoughness. You are enough. And from that space, that will help you be the best you can be, have the impact you want to have on the world and, um, you know, live your life to the full. So there you go. Become the life, the CEO of your own life, career and destiny. Why be the two I see when you can become the CEO instead? <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, Amanda. And I look forward you, to Jane. seeing you soon. Thank you, Jane. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to Breadwinning Mums. Please subscribe and leave us some feedback so we can continue to make the show better for you. If you know a fellow Breadwinning Mum, please share the show so we can cheer each other on. Until next time.